My name is Spencer, and you're tuned in to another episode of The Tempo Report. Ever since I was a kid, I have always been interested in music. I wanted to know everything I could about my favorite musicians. I discovered the ongoing history of new music, and I never looked back. This week, I am joined by the show's host, Alan Cross. Uh, my name is Alan Cross, and I like to consider myself a professional music geek, which means uh, a whole lot of really, really weird things. I do everything from uh, radio shows to TV to narrations and voiceovers and writing and a million other things, all dealing with music. How did you adopt the music geek title? Uh, no, I was uh, looking for a title that sort of summed up everything that I did. I couldn't think of anything, and I needed something to put on a business card because I was going to a conference, and that's just basically what popped into my head. It certainly caught my attention. Um, well, yeah, and it was it yeah. was a, a title that I had never seen anybody else use, and people do pay attention to it. it uh, their, their eyebrows kind of go up, go, what? <laughs> so uh, it seems to be serving its purpose. How did you get your start in um, broadcasting and writing and all that stuff? Ooh, okay. So it, it began when I got a transistor radio for my sixth birthday. My grandmother gave it to me for some reason. We don't know why. Uh, but I was growing up in a small town outside of Winnipeg in the middle of nowhere. There were only three TV stations, one of which was in French. Uh, the only radio I knew about was what mom and dad listened to in the car and in the kitchen. And this little radio did something kind of weird to me. It allowed me to realize that there was a much bigger world outside of where I was living. And I became very attached to it. All these voices and music and information and entertainment coming from somewhere. And I became very attached to this. And I decided that somehow I was going to be a part of it. And by the time I got to high school, I decided that I was going to be a news person. So that was, uh, that's what I went to university for, to learn how to be a news person, or so I thought. Uh, I got a job at the campus radio station at the University of Winnipeg. That was a closed-circuit radio station, which mentioned broadcast to exactly one hallway and one cafeteria. Not very good. But then I got my first real job um, working at a uh, very bad elevator music radio station not too far from where I grew up and that was where I that was a real life in in the wild radio station so that's where it started and I moved from there which was Selkirk Manitoba to Kenora Ontario to Brandon Manitoba to Winnipeg and then from Winnipeg I moved to the edge in Toronto in 1986 and I've pretty much been affiliated with it ever since it seems like um it seems like your career has brought you to a lot of different places does that influence your style at all? Yes and no. I'm always looking for interesting ways of expressing myself because basically what I do is tell stories and I'm looking to become the best storyteller that I can. And I'm always listening to the way people convey information, you know, turns of phrase, how they use their sense of humor, how they use their voice, uh, interesting words that they may use, interesting perspectives. So I'm, I'm always looking for things to make me more unique, if that makes any sense. I'm looking yeah. for ways that will allow me to express myself more clearly and to convey as much information as I poss possibly can with the fewest number of words possible. That's 
that's a skill. That's that's a real, real skill. That's interesting. Does your interest in storytelling mold your broadcasting style? I think so. I think so, because I never want to make it sound like I'm reading something. I want to make it sound like I'm holding a one-sided conversation where you can't necessarily respond. So I would like to be the friend in the room who's telling you stuff in a very casual yet informative and human sort of way. It definitely feels to me when I listen to your podcast, it definitely seems very organic and it doesn't seem like you're like reading off anything. You might be reading off. Oh, I am. I do script everything. Everything is from a script. Uh, but after after many, many years, I've, I've learned how to make it sound like I'm not reading. That's impressive. I've been wanting to try to emulate that in, 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 in some way. I have to do scripts. There's just no way around that. Um, but I just haven't found that style where like it doesn't seem like I'm reading off anything, you know? Yeah, it, it, it takes a lot of practice. But, you, you know, most everybody... Except if you're a stand-up comedian where you don't get a chance to use things like cue cards or teleprompters. Uh, you know, if you look at Stephen Colbert or Jimmy Kimmel or any of these guys, they all read off of cue cards, you know, and they just make it sound very, very natural. I mean, they do ad-lib from time to time, but the bulk of what they present is from a cue card or a uh, teleprompter. They're, they're, they're under such time pressure that they can't afford to do multiple takes to get something right. You know, they have to get it, they do a rehearsal and then they do the real thing. And if you ever watch, for example, if you watch Saturday Night Live, you'll notice that uh, when they're doing a skit, their eyes seem to be not at the camera or at each other, their eyes seem to be focused on something off stage. That's because they're reading cue cards. Interesting. Was broadcasting something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, I think it was there. I flirted with some other ideas like everybody does as a kid or as a teenager. Uh, but I decided that that, you know, I wanted to do something with with the radio. Uh, there was a high school quiz show called Reach for the Top back in the day. And we are I was part of our high school team and we went to uh, the CBC building in Winnipeg and we got a bit of a tour. And I thought, wow. Wouldn't it be cool to work in a place like this with all this equipment and all these people doing these important things? And that really sealed it for me. So that would have been grade 12. How long would you say you've been doing this? I can tell you exactly. Uh, doing it for, uh, you know, professionally. In other words, taking a salary since uh, November of 1981. So uh, this is my 39th year. Wow, that's crazy. I started listening to ongoing history of uh, new music podcast when I was about 12. I guess that was about 2004. So you've been doing this a while. Yeah, the, the radio show began in 1993. What was it like getting to cover like stories like the Kurt Cobain's death? Well, the interesting thing about radio is that it all happens in, in real time. Um, we are in a studio, and when we open the microphone... We are talking to tens of thousands of people all at the same time. Uh, back when, when Kurt died, that was April of 1994, so 26 years ago, uh, there was no internet, there was no social media. You know, we didn't have anything like Facebook or YouTube or anything like that. The thing that people gravitated towards to get immediate news 
was the radio. And I remember that was a, a developing story that day. It was April the 8th of 1994. And uh, as rumors spread, people tuned in to listen for the latest news because that was the only way to get it from the radio. We were faster than television, much faster than TV or than, than print. So, so people depended on us to give us the real the real story. So um, I was on the air that afternoon, and I remember when we finally got the word that he was in fact dead. That I, a lot of people were going to be listening, and that this was going to be a very important moment in a lot of people's lives. So I just had to remember. I remember thinking, "Don't screw this up! Don't screw this up! Don't screw this up!" And uh, people still tell me that they know exactly where they were when they heard that on the radio. That must have been a lot, a lot of pressure on you to deliver those couple of words, phrases. Well, things were happening so fast. You really didn't have a chance to get nervous. What you wanted to do was be correct and be as quick as possible with the news. And again, you know, no internet, no email even back then. Uh, all we had was the... Um, the telephone where we could call people, and then the uh, the newswire, which spread uh, spit out a constant series of news stories, and uh, you know, <laughs> it was it was all hands on deck that afternoon. Oof. must have must have been crazy. Um, what's it like working in like a fast paced newsroom? I don't know. I don't work. Um, I never did work. I worked in a newsroom for 23 days, <laughs> and that was that was because I thought I wanted to be a news person, but I I, I didn't. Um, so uh, I, I I've seen it happen, uh, but I've never actually been caught up in in a in a newsroom where something big was happening, like 9/11 or an election or some sort of big you know uh, political crisis. Um, but it's it's sure sure fun to watch. What's your uh, greatest accomplishment in your broadcasting career? Surviving. <laughs> you know, there's so many people that I grew up with and got into this business with who are no longer in the business. They either aged out or they got fired and didn't get back in or they had health problems or they had drug problems and alcohol problems or um, all kinds of things have gone wrong. And uh, there's not a lot of people like me who have been doing this. I mean, next year it'll be 40 years in this business. That's insane. Nobody, well, put it this way, nobody these days stays in the same job for 40 years. It's just so, 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 so rare. And uh, the number of people who stay in broadcasting for this length of time is, is insane. I mean... You know, three, two thirds of my life, well, more than two thirds of my life, have been spent doing radio, and it's just, I never, I, I did not think that uh, was going to be the case when I first started out. I had no idea where I was going, but if you had told me that forty years after I started, I'd be still doing it, no. What's your creative process like when you're like developing content for a radio show? Uh, well, I'm always looking for stuff. I'm always reading, I'm always researching, I'm always sort of squirting away little bits of information because you never know when you might need it. And I've got a, a filing system that I've created uh, that only I understand 
that I put in all sorts of cool things when I find them. And when I have enough material in that file, it's usually enough for a radio show. And then that's how it works. So I try to work six to eight weeks ahead uh, when it comes to, to researching and writing programs because, you know, something could happen. I could go on vacation. Um, there could be some technical problems. I could get a cold for a week or, you know, something along those lines. So I, I, I try to keep working ahead. Um, and the creative process is, uh, well, it takes me anywhere from 10 to 14 hours to do a single ongoing history show. It's, it's kind of like... And I'm sure you've felt this. It's Sunday night. You've watched The Simpsons and Family Guy. You uh, and you have a, a a school assignment or something due the next morning, first thing. Yeah, for you sure. Can, you know that feel, you know that feeling in your yep. stomach. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that every week. <laughs> that must that must be so much pressure. Like an entire nation relying on you <laughs> to deliver this podcast every week. Oh yeah, well, it's a radio show. It's a podcast. It's a. Uh, I've got a bunch. I've got a, a couple of news uh, of uh, columns that I do for Global News. I got a lot of things I got to do every single week, and there are hard deadlines. There, this waits for no one. These things happen. A lot of people are depending on on me to deliver this content so they can do their job. So it's it's something that you just don't <laughs> you don't debate. You just do. How do you stay fresh after, like after? For after almost 40 plus years. Well, here's what you, you don't do. You don't coast. You do not rely on your past achievements. You, um, I don't think about the past all that much. I, uh, my thing is always going forward. What's next? What's new? What's cool? And if you maintain that sort of curiosity about what's coming next, well, then you can stay fresh. The moment you start to get uh, in a rut or you start to rest on your laurels, that's when it becomes difficult. You uh, and, and you probably won't make it very far. Um, again, I've seen far too many people in this business do exactly that. Think that they are, you know, immune to the changes in technology or the business or the economy or anything like that and will always have a job. Uh-uh. you got to keep reinventing yourself over and over and over again. What's some advice that you have for somebody that's just starting out in podcasting stay curious uh what you want to do is ask yourself two questions why are things are why are things the way they are and the second question is why do things have to be the way they are remember that in the podcasting game you're competing against i think the last the last number i saw was nine hundred and twelve thousand different podcasts with 77 million episodes so there is a lot of noise out there a lot of competition so you have to make sure that you are doing something that'll rise above the noise ranging from everything that you talk about the topics you focus on to making sure that the production quality of your podcast is good and to make sure that you're consistent so if you're going to put out a podcast you know it's every week or every two weeks and stick to that schedule consistency is so important because if you miss a week or you go away for a while, there are lots of other podcasts that will leap in and fill that gap. How can a podcaster stand out from the crowd, in your opinion? Uh, that's what a lot of people are trying to do. I mean, it's got to be good content. It has to be good production. And it has to be something that you offer that nobody else does. Um, that's uh, that's the trick. 
And you don't really know what that is until you start doing it. You know, one of the things I used to tell announcers when I was coaching them was that you really don't know who you are on the air until five years go by because it takes that long for you to figure out your strengths and weaknesses and to incorporate a bunch of your influences and to get better. So the only way that you're going to get to where you want to go is by uh, practice. So do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then you'll find that in a year or so, you look back on what you've done, you'll think, wow, I've really improved. Uh, I guess practice really does make perfect. In it some, does. Yeah, there's no question about in it. In some respects. I've heard you talk about on the show that you used to dabble in being a drummer. Oh, not dabble. I was, uh, I was heavy duty into it. How did you make the transition between drummer, broadcaster, or was that just... Um, well... I was I was always into music uh, from the time I was even before I was a teenager I was I was very much into music and the drums came along when we decided in high school that a bunch of us were going to form a band and I decided that I wanted to play the drums so uh, this this interest in in drumming and music went hand in hand with radio so I I when I would listen to music I would always try and figure out what the drummer was doing you know what I mean and um, it's yeah. it it was by learning how to play music, by learning how to be in a band, by learning how to do rehearsals and how to practice and how to get gigs. I mean, it taught me an awful lot about the business. And these were things that uh, made me want to get into radio even more. And when I did get in, I understood how much of the business worked because I was actually part of it for a while. With this coronavirus Thing going on how do you stay sane <laughs> well a couple of things um, I work out of my house anyway uh, so there has been no big transition for me in my day-to-day other than my wife who works in an office is working at home so she's having a bit of a challenge learning how to do all these things but I've got my basement office which is where I am right now and I do all my work there anyway um so there's no real big change what i do miss is going out for dinner (laughs) i do miss going out to the store i do miss uh uh you know walking down the sidewalk and not having people you know veer out of the street to avoid me so it's 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 i'm okay um i worry greatly about musicians who they can't play they can't tour um where are they getting money from i worry about restaurants and bars and clubs and concert venues. I worry about promoters and agents and recording studios and everybody else that's associated with the music industry. It's all come to a crashing halt. And I uh, I just hope we can get through it. I know what's going to happen in that, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very Darwinism. Um, a lot of these a lot of musicians will be forced out of music because they just couldn't afford to continue. A lot of venues will close down. A lot of recording studios will take a hit. Promoters will take a hit. It'll be a while before people decide that it's safe to go out in a big crowd to see a show together. So uh, this is changing everything going forward, and we have no idea of what those social changes and those artistic creative changes may be uh, going forward. We'll find out when we find out. 
you think live streaming would will be like the new place for doing live shows for a while like well i think i think it'll become an important component going forward i don't know if it will i don't think it'll replace the the energy and the feeling that you get with a bunch of people in a room with live music being played i think that will eventually come back however you're seeing a lot of artists figure out new ways of using technology and reaching their fans on a one-to-one -one basis i just had a call with a company earlier today they have a new idea about how this how, how they may help musicians reach out to to audiences and make some money um so i think we're going to learn some interesting technological lessons uh but we will eventually go back to getting together in a large crowd to see to see music it's just going to take a while and when we do i think we won't be jammed together quite as tightly as we once were yeah there's some there's so much lessons to be learned from this specific event in history it's kind of it's kind of weird and creepy all at the same time one last question why don't you like take a minute and tell my audience what you have going on in your life right now um i'm working on ongoing history stuff i'm working on my blog i uh, did a bunch i did some uh, auditions for a, a tv show a voiceover of a tv show i did a some recording for a tutorial video that i do for for a company i am uh what else am i gonna do what else am I gonna do? just looking at my list for today um i did my instagram daily updates i have you and another podcast that i got to talk to later today um i have to do some more blogging and i got a big wacky email that i got to answer before i go home go to bed tonight all and right then, well tomorrow is good friday so i'm not going to do too much tomorrow although i do a little bit of work every day just to keep everything out of control Oh, for sure, you gotta keep you gotta keep the grind going somehow. You do, you gotta. Anyway, um, it was nice. It was nice getting a chance to chat with you. And uh, and I guess uh, Willie will talk to you later. Okay. Uh, stay safe. Stay healthy. Wash your hands. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Alan. Okay, you're welcome. I hope you enjoyed my interview with. Alan Cross, host of a podcast called The Ongoing History of New Music. To find out more about Alan and his work, go to ajourneyofmusicalthings.com. You stay classy, Vancouver.